0: Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. Avery Swanson of Keeping Together is on the show this week in a conversation recorded last month at Funk Fest in Nashville. We're going to be talking about Cezanne, building a new brewery, and the creative process. And she's coming up in just a moment. But first, please go visit allaboutbeer.com. There, you can find original articles, reviews, news, insights, and podcasts. You can listen to shows like Beer Travelers, Brewer to Brewer, and the All About Beer podcast simply by searching All About Beer wherever you listen to shows. This show and all of the work we do, it's supported by you please go visit patreon.com slash allaboutbeer to help keep the content fresh. A few bucks goes a long way to fund writers, photographers, creators, and editors. And there's even a pro tier for all of you breweries and beer-related companies out there. And if you'd like to learn more about advertising on this show, please email info at allaboutbeer.com. All right. One last time for this year, let me give praise to Funk Fest. Linus Hall and Brandon Jones are two brewers that I've known for years, and they put real thought into creating a tasting event that focuses on spontaneous fermentation, but still makes way for other delightful beers and beverages. Jones asked me to host a series of panels during the festival, casual conversations with leading brewers on a variety of topics. This week, I am so pleased to welcome back to the show, Avery Swanson of Keeping Together. Swanson is one of the most talented and thoughtful brewers in the U.S. today, and her career path is well known. Going from a volunteer at Jester King in Austin, Texas, to its head brewer in just four years, before leaving several years ago to start a new venture called Keeping Together. Originally, it was operating out of Chicago and focused on mixed culture, rustic, and Belgian-inspired beers. Now, she and her partner, Pat Faye, have purchased a property in New Mexico and plan to open a brewery and tasting room. Over the last year, she's been thinking about new iterations of her beers, specialty ingredients, becoming part of a new community, and the experiences that come with new beginnings and space. Here's our conversation.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Thanks.
0: Is this thing on? <laughs> so natural. Yeah. <laughs> is it on? I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how the, 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 the wheels came off this quickly, but apparently me it did. Me neither.
1: Um, I, was, I was like, they're going to put me at the end so that everyone's drunk, and it's like the pressure is no all longer right. on. So,
0: for, for those who are out and, and people are going to be filtering back in, we are recording this for the podcast so people can listen in later on. But it started with Vinny who had one of his pomice beers that was like a nine or 10 percent and then he brings in Pliny which is like eight percent that I didn't realize that the ABV was that high on it and then Garrett Oliver shows up and and starts pouring a nine percent beer and now here I am sitting with you and I'm desperately trying to keep my focus yes you know before all of the outcomes. so I you know it's it's how are you
1: I'm okay. Yeah. (laughs) We'll bring you down gently. This beer is probably around 6% ABV. Perfect. See, that's a positive.
0: All right. So tell us what we're drinking so that we can get into this conversation.
1: Okay. So this beer is called Preoccupied with Memory and Expectation. It is a mixed culture fermented saison of sorts made with burnt honey, Japanese red shiso leaf, and uh, dry hopped with sabro, which is my least favorite hop ever. It is truly a terrible hop. Uh, it's,
0: why do you hate, why do people hate Sabro?
1: Because it's diacetyl adjacent, it tastes like, it tastes like pre-digested popcorn. Why are you putting it in your beer then? Um, because I wanted it to taste like coconut. So the reason why, uh, I made this beer. <laughs> like and it sounds counterintuitive.
0: Like, oh, yeah. I don't like this. This is garbage hop. Yeah. I put it in my beer. Yeah. So,
1: okay. So like I said, the name of this beer is Preoccupied with Memory and Expectation. Um, I named it that. I'm going to
0: ask you about the name. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: So way, way, way back when, when I was head brewer at Jester King, I made a beer with a friend of mine, Ben, at Gigantic Brewing in Portland, Oregon. Ben Love. Yeah, Ben Love. Uh, And we had been to Japan a year prior uh, for a beer festival in the mountains there. And we wanted to make a beer using some of the ingredients that we encountered on our travel there. And so we made a beer using uh, Japanese shiso leaf, which is an herb kind of in the mint and basil family uh, that is used to color umeboshi plums. Uh, Sometimes it'll be used to color pickled ginger. So it has kind of like a a deep red magenta type pigment to it. Um, So we used a beer or made a beer using that ingredient. And the final product ended up having this really interesting coconut like flavor to it that I attributed to the shiso leaf, and I'm still pretty certain it came from the shiso leaf. Regardless, I decided that I wanted to try to make a beer using this ingredient, and my expectation was that it would end up tasting kind of like that coconut flavor that we created in that other beer. Okay. Um, So I made the beer. Uh, slaved over a hot stove burning honey for a few hours and... Uh,
0: so this is purposefully burnt honey? Yes. Okay.
1: Yeah. Um, basically just kind of... How, p- long does,
0: how long does it take to burn honey?
1: Um, I was using a very inefficient stove top so it took a couple hours but you basically want to just reduce it down. You get a fair amount of like caramelized flavor and aroma from this process. Um, so I ended up using that in, in the final beer for refermentation. fermentation um, But I added the Japanese shiso leaf fully expecting it to impart some sort of coconut-like flavor. And in the finished beer, or while it was still in tank, I was like, it has no coconut <laughs> at all whatsoever. Um, and so I ended up seeking out the help of Sabro hops, which, like I said earlier, are really kind of a terrible hop. Yeah. Um, the, the like flavor descriptors for it from the hop companies are like sweet cream and butter, uh, which are flavors that you generally don't <laughs> yeah, want no, in your hops. Yeah, you kind of
0: want to avoid that. Yeah.
1: yeah, so um, I use a very, very small amount. It was like half a pound per barrel of a dry hop, which for those So you were hop hoping heads, to get Yeah, the coco- I was hoping yeah. to get some of that coconut. Did you? Um, I do feel like early on it did present with a little bit of the coconut. At this point, I feel like it's fairly integrated in the final product. Using adjunct ingredients in a pretty subtle way is very much a, uh, I don't know, I guess it's my shtick. Uh, I don't necessarily want ingredients to hit you over the head. I think there's plenty of beer out there in the world that will bludgeon you with flavor. Yeah. um, And I don't necessarily feel like I need to do that. So I really enjoy using adjunct ingredients in a subtle way to create layers of flavor and to allow people to use some of their imagination, which I think is an underutilized muscle these days, um, to kind of fill in between the lines. And I really like that approach to beer. And given that the beer is mixed culture fermentation, it's packaged with live yeast, the beer will continue to change over time. Um, so if I give it some starting points, I have found over over the years of doing this that a lot of times with herbs and spices, things will bloom over time as their uh, flavor active components are kind of unlocked through secondary fermentation in the bottle over time. So...
0: We're at the point in the fest today where uh, people have been drinking for a while and the the crowd noise has ratcheted up yeah so I'm having I, I can hear you but I, I, I can't fully hear what is an underused muscle these days in beer Humans imaginations Tell me more about that why you think that to be true
1: um, I feel like people so you go and you order a beer and it's like yeah it's made with cherries and cinnamon and vanilla And if you can't taste the vanilla, you're disappointed in this beer because (laughs) the vanilla isn't slapping you across the face with its intensity. That, for me, I I just, like, philosophically do not agree with that approach to beer making. Um, I think that you can use ingredients in a subtle way, and it can still be extremely interesting. But I've had people be like, if it's on the label, I want to be able to taste it. And I can appreciate that perspective to a certain extent. But, like, as a consumer, you're not like oh if I don't taste the vanilla I didn't get my money's worth like that's probably not why you're buying the beer Um, but a lot of people just like don't want to put in the work to explore their sensory experience in a really uh, present way I feel like so I don't know I would rather tickle somebody's imagination with some flavor ingredients and see what they what they find in the final product themselves how hard is that conversation to have these days well, i'm because, having it right now i know but but, but and but we're at this people point are staring where, out kind of yeah
0: but we're at this point where you know somebody says oh this is Piney the elder with guava puree and they want to be able to Vinny, taste are you th- making that <laughs> <laughs> one more time and it becomes true uh, <laughs> I gotta say it three times the trend um but they want to be hit over the head yeah. with the flavor and that you know it's the same thing like when i walk the, the like i have a six-year-old now and i walk the breakfast aisle uh, breakfast cereal aisle and it is exactly what and i didn't think about this when i was a kid but now that i'm buying for her it is you know this tastes like you know cinnamon or this tastes like birthday cake everything tastes like birthday cake these days and we know it's just vanilla and yeah. it's just sugared vanilla but like and if it doesn't taste like that or it doesn't taste like the birthday cake that I want, like I'm disappointed when I'm eating the breakfast cereal that I'm ostensibly buying for her, but I'm actually going to eat at the end of the night. <laughs> um, but how hard is that conversation, though, with beer then when you're, you know, you're talking about burnt honey and you're talking about these sweets and you're talking about all of these things and unless like I don't know, I can imagine what burnt honey tastes like, but I don't know if I've ever purposefully had it. Yeah. So it's a hard, like, how is that conversation?
1: I would say more often than not, it's challenging. A lot of beer people don't really get it or care or have the attention span to indulge me, uh, in conversations like this, but there are a lot of people that do get it. Um, and so for me, it's not necessarily about how hard is that conversation. It's about choosing when and where I want to engage people to have that conversation. Okay. Like I would much rather talk about things like this in a curated at a curated festival, like I feel like this is one that would make sense, right? People are here because they want interesting and funky beers. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, I would rather be a little bit more selective with my audience than try to get people who really just want to get wasted on 15% triple IPA. Uh, like they're not, they're not here for that kind of beer. And the thing is, there's plenty, it's just like beer is like music. It, I don't have to listen to all the music that exists out there. I can kind of pick and choose what I like. And that's, I don't know. You don't have to drink all of it. There are enough people out there that have, you know, interesting palates that are looking for specific flavors. And I would, I don't know. I'd rather make beer for a small subset of people who get it and who are excited about it. Cause that fuels what I do.
0: Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a cool thing about, your brewery and i think a lot of the the producers that are here at Funkfest fest today of uh, you know by and large it's they are making it for the people who get it or the people who want it um as opposed to trying to be something for everybody and, yeah. and and that model works in beer yeah um but there is something to be the conversation about nuance the conversation about yeah
1: yeah yeah i don't know i like i said i feel like I've been fortunate to pour beer at a lot of really unique festivals across the world. Um, and there are many festival organizers that have done a good job of curating their audience. Um, so like, obviously I'm not, I don't want to make Saison just for Saison drinkers and, and no one else. Like I would love to see people converted to this subculture of Saison. Um, So, I really appreciate... When did Saison become a subculture? Like, why isn't it mainstream? Has it ever been mainstream? But why isn't it mainstream? Because a lot of people in the States don't want beer with, like, nuance. And I would make the argument, too, that there are a lot of popular American saisons that are made... They're all made with the same strain of yeast. And so, they all kind of taste the same. Um, You know, you've had Tank 7. You've had... You've had probably 50% of all of the mass-produced saison in the country because it all will taste more or less the same. And that's not to say that I don't appreciate Tank Seven. I haven't. En- I have enjoyed it on many occasions. Um, but I think you know, with IPA, there's a lot. There's certainly a ton of depth and complexity there if you care enough to look for it, and if you're paying attention to your sensory experience. Um, but people can make you know, two IPAs using the exact same hops, but they'll still taste a little bit different because there's process stuff that you can do um, to change their flavor profiles. And with Saison, it's the exact same way, but so many brewers are like, well, if I'm gonna make Saison, I'm just gonna use this yeast, I'm gonna stress it the hell out, and uh, you know, Saison, it'll be fine. And and people just don't, I don't know, they're not necessarily looking for the nuance there.
0: How do you approach making a Saison? Where does your brewer mind... When you're, when you're conceiving, putting something together in the saison realm, mm-hmm. where do you start and walk me through
1: that? That's a great question. That's why I'm here. It really kind of depends. Um, I feel like I have a, f- a few different types of approaches to making beers and to de- recipe development. Um, growing up as a young brewer at Jester King, I feel i felt like i was very resource oriented it was very like okay well we have all of this grain there are certain types of grain we have these certain other adjunct ingredients that are available right now because it's the season um so you kind of base recipes around what is available to you and in my mind the romantic philosophical idea of saison or farmhouse beer generally being very resource oriented you know like you're making this beer on the farm you had an excess of rye you're going to throw some of that rye in your beer, right? Yeah, you're not necessarily like I'm trying to recreate the exact same beer every year. So I still very much feel like I have a resource oriented approach to recipe development. Um, For instance, at when I was making beer at Half Acre Under, which is where I started keeping together in Chicago, Illinois. um, You know, they are a 50,000 barrel a year brewery. They are a huge production brewery at this point. Um, and one of, the, you know, I was looking at the, the inventory and they had one bag of Maris Otter. And I, <laughs> I talked to, the you know, like leftover from a recipe. And I talked to the production manager and I was like, hey, what is up with this one bag? And he was like, oh, my God, do you want it? Please, please take that bag. Oh. I do not. It is it is cluttering up my inventory. Just this one thing. I can't use it for anything else. Uh, and I was like, <laughs> all right, Maris Otter. And I was Maris like, o- I'm going to make a British inspired saison with Earl Grey tea, dried lemons and saffron. Um, so there was like, I would have never come up with that beer probably without having had that one tiny starting point, which is kind of obscure and strange, but, uh, I don't know the, I don't know. It's an interesting, an interesting process. It's not always that way. There are definitely times where I'm like out and about and have a cocktail and I'm like, this is a really interesting flavor experience. How could I recreate this in a beer? Um, so how often
0: does that work?
1: Uh, you know, it works. I like to think that it works more often than it doesn't. Okay. Um, But it's not, if I were to do that, it's not like I'm trying to recreate the cocktail itself. I'm trying to recreate the experience of enjoying that cocktail in a certain place with friends. Um, And so there's more than just the flavors of the cocktail that go into the beer, right? Like if I'm having a, a Mai Tai on a beach somewhere, which sounds pretty amazing right now, Um, I would, I mean, no no
0: knocking our hosts here in (laughs) in beautiful middle Tennessee. Of course not. I
1: love it here. (laughs) Um, but who's going to deny that I might tie on a beach somewhere. Sure. Yeah. Sounds great. Um, so if I were to do that, it would be
0: beach edition. Yeah. I feel like that sounds great. Next year for sure. We're not that
1: far from the beach here. Right.
0: Linus can put that together. That's fun. Yeah.
1: Um, but you know, if I were trying to recreate that in beer form, it would be, you know, I'd probably do some cherry, maybe some rum barrels, I would probably add some mint, but I would also want to use salt because I was on a beach and I could smell the ocean and the ocean breeze and you know, like the sunscreen on my body and things like that. Like, it's not just the cocktail I'm trying to recreate. It's the holistic experience.
0: And and that to me is. So I get the question. I'm sure you get the question all the time as well of, you know, what's the best beer you ever had? And and I have answers to that, but it is very rarely about the beer itself. Totally. But it's who I was with. It's why it was tasting a certain way. It's yeah. where I was at any given moment kind of thing. So when you're thinking about the beers that you put out and you want those beers to evoke a sense of place, but then also probably be enjoyed in a place that will evoke a, a, a good memory, is there a way as a brewer you're able to not force that conversation, but like maybe encourage that to, you know, like maybe don't open it up in your basement while you're on Beer Advocate. Like, um, uh, I don't know if people still do that. I don't know if dial-up is still a thing. But, like, it's... Um, uh, but, like, how much does do the location of where your beer is consumed?
1: I mean, honestly, I like... I'm not trying to, uh, like, incept people's minds completely. I want to... Okay, if you're ever, like, hanging out with friends and you're trying to tell them a story they're never gonna be able to fully experience the story that you're telling them, Mm -hmm. but you can communicate as well as you can how you felt when you experienced that story, right? Um, And so with the beers, it's kind of the same thing. I'm not trying to force people to feel exactly how I feel or experience that beer exactly how I experienced it. I would so much rather give them a starting point in their own experience so that they can fill in between the lines and create something new like a fractal memory if you will like sure. kind of a I, I don't ever expect every person that has my beer to have the exact same sensory experience right everything is tied into your personal memory and I don't know I, I love when people come up to me and they're like I had that beer and I totally saw where you were coming from but it reminded me of this thing that I experienced like that to me is amazing and what we as humans are here to do is to share our experiences with one another so if i can make beer that is thoughtful um, and interesting and kind of piques people's curiosity and tickles their imagination so that those types of conversations can be had that to me is a far more interesting landscape of beer uh, than the alternative I'm done. No, also, you're the in
0: the you're in the process <laughs> of. Please don't be done. Um, you're in the process of uh, uh, putting down roots yes. for keeping together. Um, tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I'll provide folks with a little bit more backstory before I go forward. Um, Doesn't everybody know your bio and your backstory? You. I have, don't know. You, you
0: have one of the the, the more <laughs> storied uh, uh, career. Paths, i think than really most. yeah i
1: love that i don't yeah. know <laughs> i'm just a girl trying to make some saison um <laughs> trying to bring saison mainstream <laughs> yeah Let's i stop. tried with smoked S- beer actually for a while and then i was like no one's listening to me because john hall hasn't gotten on board yet and then you started camp rouch beer uh yeah uh, this week in
0: Rouch beer the most important yeah. podcast dedicated exactly. Do you not
1: remember last time we did a podcast and I was like, smoked beer is the next hazy IPA. And you were like, I don't know. I don't, I'm not kidding.
0: You were talking about your lavender smoked malt. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, I, I have on my list to actually bring up of, uh, uh, what Caleb's doing and, uh, down at sugar Creek and, and, and and all of that as well. All right. But yes, please.
1: So I started keeping together in Chicago in 2019. Um, I moved up there from Austin and, uh, I had been working with half acre doing a bit of consulting for their wild program, which honestly didn't need any consulting. Uh, they wanted to scale it a little bit, but this is pre pandemic. Um, and I don't think they ever ended up scaling that program. Um, but they were like, yeah, if you're here, you want to make some beer, we've got extra tank space. We'd love to have you here in a, in a greater capacity. So I started keeping together out of their original brew pub in North Chicago and did that for about three years. And then, uh, I love Chicago. My dad was born and raised there. It's a very familiar feeling place to me. Uh, However, I am a Texan born and raised and I love the heat and I love the sunshine. And um, I was like, I need to get back to more Southern latitudes. So almost exactly one year ago- The winters
0: are mostly better in Texas.
1: (sighs) Most of the time. Yeah. It's kind of erratic these days. but. We don't have to get into it. Yeah, yeah, the summertime is definitely kind of hot and sweaty and and whatever. But I moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico, which is quite high in elevation. The weather is fantastic. It's 7,200 feet uh, in elevation. And the weather is, honestly, is perfect. Um, the highs in the summer are like 95, but there's a huge diurnal shift, so it's like sixty low 60s at night. That's nice. Yeah, oh, that's it's perfect. perfect. Yeah. It's
0: perfect. Open the windows and just go to sleep. Yeah. Oh, oh, I just want to take a nap now. Yeah. Oh, man. It's All great. Right.
1: Uh, and winters are nice, too. There's a, Snow in the desert is quite gorgeous. I'm not a snow person. Snow and I don't really see eye to eye. As a Texan, I can't do that. But uh, it is pretty in the desert, so I tolerate that. Um, but... I, I really love it there. I am, my partner and I are currently under contract to purchase a piece of property for a permanent location for keeping together there. We will, if all goes accordingly, it'll probably be a year before we're open. So, and things have already not gone accordingly. Sure. Uh, but so that year keeps getting yeah, pushed I was, back. I,
0: I was gonna say, you know, when everybody is like, oh yeah, we're gonna be open by Memorial Day. It's like, cool, can't wait for Labor Day weekend. Yeah, exactly, yeah, it's, exactly, it's, yeah.
1: yeah. But Santa Fe is a really interesting place. Um, there's maybe eight or nine breweries in Santa Fe proper. In yeah. New Mexico total, there's like 100 breweries. And uh, so moving there from Chicago, where there's like 250 breweries in the greater metropolitan area, was kind of shocking. Um, but it's it's awesome. I feel like it's... It feels like the beer industry 10 years ago, like everyone is still really excited about what they're doing. Both uh, brewers making beers and consumers drinking beers. Like there's Scotch Ale all over the place. It's amazing. It's,
0: <laughs> it's like going to Montana wh- yeah. where it's all like malt edge. I remember the first time I went to Montana, It's like every bar has a Scotch Ale on tap and yeah. I kind of love it. And yeah. it's, yeah, it takes like me I'm back. here for it. Yeah. yeah,
1: like people are still happy about so beer. It's awesome.
0: You've been exploring the New Mexico brewing culture, and now you're going to become a part of it. I hope so, yes. Since you've decided to put roots down there, how has the idea of the brewery changed in your mind or evolved in your mind?
1: That's a great question. I mean, honestly, the brewery started with such a kind of transient and kind of like ethereal philosophy behind it that I don't feel like there's been a whole lot in the way of challenge- like philosophically moving the brewery from one place to another. Um, there were plenty of people that were like, what do you mean you're just going to move the brand over? You're not going to like start something new and, or, you know, like it started there. It's a Chicago brand. And like, it was never really intended to be that way. Like I don't even have a a, a set logo, you know, it's a very elastic brand by intention. Um, and so part of me feels like, There isn't there hasn't really been a whole lot of change as far as what I want to see the brand become. Yeah, I've always wanted it to be a very experiential uh, type of brand um, and product, I guess, which I feel like is kind of a soulless word for it. But I want to make things that inspire people and help people look inward um, I don't think
0: that's, I, I, it's more like based in reality though. Yeah, it just, is. And you have to think about it that way. Definitely. Like, sometimes you have to be cold about the way that we think about it. Well, it is very
1: much a business. Yes. And, you know, I've been running the business by myself for the last three years. Um, and so th- that stuff isn't so much lost on me, but it is, I don't know, I don't want to forget why I'm doing this. And I'm not doing it because I'm going to retire rich someday. <laughs> Um, What's I'm the doing old
0: joke of how do you make a small fortune in beer start with a large one?
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's very real. I've yeah. seen it happen to a lot Same of people. Same thing with journalism.
0: Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, we've all got lofty ideas and reality <laughs> sucks. Uh, but...
0: What is the biggest part of reality that is bumming you out these days?
1: Uh, great question. Um, okay, so I mentioned... And then this I'm going to ask
0: the flip side of that. Yeah. Because I don't want to, you know...
1: Um, Probably just that like stuff takes time and there are moments when I'm like super impatient and I'm ready to be making beer again and it's gonna take me a year before I'm making beer again. And I I don't necessarily wanna go cook in someone else's kitchen again. Um, not that I had a bad experience doing it before because I, I could not have asked for a better partner to do that with in Half Acre. Um, but I don't know, I just, I, I I don't want to move into a new place and feel like a a guest, I guess I want to be able to integrate myself into the community in a more, uh, I don't know, authentic and real and, and lasting way. Yeah. Um, so I would say that the part of reality that's bumming me out is that everything takes time and I got to be patient. Uh, (laughs) but the flip side of it is that this has been such an incredible learning experience for me and my partner, uh, I wouldn't change that part for anything and kind of in between like leaving Jester King and starting keeping together in Chicago I've had like a six month sabbatical type of experience where I wasn't making any beer and I was I left JK because I was burnt out and I needed like some time I needed to spend time with family Um, and that like I was having a hard time like feeling creative and coming up with recipes and feeling like I was I don't know, being fulfilled by this thing that used to fulfill me. Yeah. And so that period of time away from what I was doing helped tremendously with that issue. Like I was able, when I started KT, I had a laundry list of beers I wanted to make um, that I was excited about. And I am very much in that place now where I am very excited to make beer again. And I've got a list of ingredients and a list of recipes. And uh, I'm very much looking forward to having a brewery again.
0: that being able to step away a little bit to take a sabbatical um i know that there are breweries that encourage that after people have been around for for a while um but having you having lived through that um does the industry need more of that or do people in general just need more of that do I you think, think people
1: in general probably just need more of that we are all like truly living in a rat race all the time and that is not what we're here to do <laughs> You know, like I'm sure everyone's seen the memes of like, don't glorify the grind life or the hustle, like glorify whatever this is. And it's like chipmunks drinking tea by the river or whatever. Y'all seen those memes? Yes. That's what I'm here for that. Uh, Like life is short, man. And we rush through everything. Like how many of you remember how good the food was that you, the last time you ate something, you know, like, what was it? Can you tell me in detail what it tasted like? Most people are not paying attention you know like you lived through your life kind of like one foot in and one foot out thinking about what's next or what's behind us we're all preoccupied with memory and expectation and it's no way to live like we truly only have this moment right now
0: yeah um talk to me about how you name your beers (laughs) are all the short names taken
1: yes that's absolutely part of it (laughs) um (laughs)
0: So I've been drinking piney for three hours now.
1: Yeah. Bless his heart, as we yeah. say here in Nashville. Heart, yeah.
0: <laughs> it's my it's my liver that yeah needs the yeah help bless right his liver yeah, also yeah.
1: Um, yeah so the naming stuff I really enjoy that part honestly some of the beers are like conceived through the name like I'll come up with a good name and I'm like what would that name taste like as a beer um, and then other times it's like okay here's this beer this happened while I was making it this is the name. Um, i'm sure some of you have had the other beer that i'm pouring inside called at the still point of the turning world which is from a ts Eliot poem um and that beer it's a buckwheat and rye saison made with uh old world and new world hops and i made it with richard price who is one of the owners of uh scarpment labs up in ontario yeah he, he's awesome yeah he's, he's been, been on the All About your podcast yes yeah. he's br- one, truly one of the most brilliant minds um and is a good friend and I'm very grateful for him. He banks the Saccharomyces, that is the base of my mixed culture. Um, and so I had him come down to Chicago to make that beer with me. We brewed it on Friday the 13th of March, 2020, which was the oh, day- That's the day everything
0: shut the down. The day Chicago
1: shut down, yeah, new the York day the was, world changed yeah, yeah. for all of us. Um, and you know, we had already set up what we wanted the beer to be. It was gonna be an old world and new world season. Um and little did we Mainstream. know that that day was the still point of the turning world. And it was the day the old world ceased to exist and the new world began. And uh, so I, I, I discovered that poem after we had made the beer. And I was like, that's the name. That's a perfect name for it. Um, so I don't know I really like using I think that words are incredibly important and I'm probably way too Thank like you. getting way too philosophical no for this drunk festival right now As but. somebody who
0: deals in words yes words are incredibly important but somebody will say to me later on like oh what was that beer that you were drinking uh during your Avery conversation and I'm, I, you're not gonna remember I have no idea and that's okay Um, But how often does that happen?
1: It happens a lot. And I remember that happening even when I was with Jester King and we would like pour beer at festivals like Omniscience and Proselytism. I was like, no (laughs) one can say this beer name at these beer festivals. Well, especially after a
0: couple of rounds, yeah. Yeah, and so Uh, people would be like,
1: I want the Omnipotent and Precious. And you're like, what? And you're like, if you can't read the name, I, I can't serve you. You're yeah. probably should probably be cut I, off. Most
0: people on their best day can't make those pronunciations. No, of course not. But yeah, but you yeah. know that's
1: just a, a, kind of an egregious example, honestly. <laughs> <Yeah>. But um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I I I'm less about wanting people to remember exactly what the name was and remember that beer, and more like when you see that on the menu, I want to hear you say those words out loud. Um, I want that is a form of inception. Um, I want to hear you say you know uh let's see make art not content yeah say that a couple times out loud create a mantra for yourself um is that your brewery's mantra make art not content yeah. does your brewery have a mantra it is uh thoughtful beers for an ecstatic reality would be the catchphrase. okay I haven't trademarked it though, so y'all be be nice. We y'all got about go three we, we got about yeah. three weeks before this
0: airs, and uh, I'm sure that there's somebody who listens to these things and just goes and starts Almost buying certainly. URLs. And it's usually Rob Fulmer out at the Arizona Brewers Guild, who's, uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. my My dad, uh, my dad, and I were very close. He passed away in 2012. Um, too young. I was definitely too young, um, but he was. He he was born and raised in Chicago. He was, uh, you know, he was in Vietnam during the war. He came back and was very much a hippie, and a hypnotist and a Buddhist. And I he like pro- a
0: professional
1: hypnotist. Yeah, yeah. I have like articles of of that were written about him when he was in the army, like hypnotizing some of the the other army people, like the other privates in his battalion or whatever. I. Clearly have not been in the military, but you know what I mean? He, (laughs) I like have these articles written about him. He, he loved that. He, He was into like NLP and, and all that stuff. And I think that that very much, I inherited all of his books and inherited a lot of his, I guess, perspective on the world prior to him dying. But, uh, I don't know. That has very much influenced how I approach the things that I'm creating. Um, So I don't know if I if I have an opportunity to put words in someone's mouth I want them to be positive and like uplifting or at least make them think about something
0: you were talking about tickling the imagination before Uh, you brought it up twice earlier Um, is there I'm guilty of this by nature of my profession and uh, living and and growing up in New Jersey, but as as a cynic Um, Is beer suffering from a positivity problem these days? probably Uh, because every time I talk to you you are this like force for positivity this force for light and you know and then like I talk to other people and it's just everything's terrible and everything sucks and then you know like we talk and you're like is gonna be the next thing and I'm like of course it's not (laughs) and then I go and buy the URL and I trademark it and I uh, um, I don't think that's how that conversation went by the way (laughs) but but I've been proven wrong on multiple (laughs) occasions and I'm happy to do that way but like uh, you're a realist obviously yes. but like you also just seem to have a, a, a sunnier than most uh you know i appreciate you saying life.
1: that because i don't necessarily always feel that way it doesn't come without its it definitely requires energy sometimes uh but i don't know for the most part i am very energized by this industry and i do think that i'm, I'm primarily it's because of all the amazing people that i've met like both as peers people that make beer or work in beer but also Everybody that like comes out and enjoys beer at festivals, I have met so many incredibly interesting people, um, like Scott over here, who I met at a beer festival. I met you, I think, at Fresh Craft maybe in Asheville, like at the Bottle Shop. Who's Scott? Scott is over here, but he's Hi, like Scott. he was just like there, like enjoying beer, and I was like, this guy is incredibly interesting, and I've like never forgot forgotten him. Yeah, and that was like fucking eight years ago. I'm sorry, I cursed on that's fine on record, but. No. <laughs> but truly, like, I remember seeing him at, like, Shelton Brothers Atlanta years after I met him. Like, I, these memories are not, I don't know. I, I love what I do, and I love this industry, and I love everybody that I've met through this. There have definitely been some assholes out there. Sure. But you know i sixty
0: five percent asshole for yeah, yeah, but I
1: would so much more prefer to just like focus on the positive stuff yeah. like you are not in control of your life, but you are in control of the way that you frame what you experience
0: I've paid I you a lot of compliments, and I continue to do so but I, I i I think there are a new generation of brewers that have come up behind you that look to you as an example of ways to do things the right way and do things with purpose. That's and, crazy. Um,
1: <laughs> bless b- them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> bless their livers. Um, who are you looking to these days for inspiration? Who do you continue to look to?
1: Oh, man. Honestly, there are a lot of people in the, like, do you mean in the industry specifically? I,
0: I, I have no qualifications on that, on that question.
1: Oh, man. There are a lot of people in the industry that I think are doing really incredible things. Um, and are just like for lack of well I'll just be like trite and say like they're living their truths (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I hate that phrase but honestly people that are just like making the beer that they want to make and are not really out there pandering to people um, like honestly I think about somebody like Ashley at Bierstadt yeah Ashley Um, Carter Yeah, I love her dearly and I think that she makes some incredible beer and she's just like doing her fucking thing and I very much respect her for that um Obviously, lager has become a really popular trend um, over the last few years, which I think is great and necessary. Yeah. Um, But, you know, like, and so there are a lot of people that have hopped on that bandwagon. um, And we've had some really amazing lagers produced through that. But there are a lot of people that are making bad beer. And it's like, I'm not going to just, like, chase trends and make what everyone else is making because people say that I'm not going to make any money otherwise. Like, I... I don't know. That sounds terrible to me. Um, so I think about people like her. Um, I don't know. Other people that yeah. are doing really interesting. Like, where is the innovation right now in beer? So where are you
0: looking for innovation right now? How, how, how do you want to lead that conversation? Because I, 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 every time I talk to you, you're always introducing me to new ingredients that I've never thought about in the beer space. And you're not afraid of adjuncts. You're not afraid of adding things to your beer. I'm afraid you're-
1: of some things. Okay. What are you afraid of? I tasted a beer yesterday. Uh, I'm here also judging uh, World Beer Cup. I had a beer yesterday with cream cheese powder. And, oh. and that made me sad. Um, I mean. I'm, I'm going to
0: introduce you to Augie Carton in a few minutes. Oh, and, uh, I have
1: talked with Augie on the podcast before. He's, he's, <laughs>
0: talked, he's talked at you on the podcast? He's talked yeah. at me on the
1: podcast before.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Eight long years of my life. Um, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how I do it, but yeah. Um, he made a cream cheese powder beer, and I was like, This is.
1: I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I love cream cheese. Yeah. But. Uh, it's all about. And it came through. And But it and, like. It fattens like, the tongue. Beer, it's like. It's like. It's that, crazy. That fat on the tongue, though,
0: that yes. it shows up as. Oh, yeah, weird. it was so slick. Yeah. It, it
1: was slick. But um, I don't know. I think about. Like, is that. would Do we consider that to be innovation, or do we consider that to be like trend following and like novelty? Like, how do you, John? How do you define innovation versus novelty like where is where is the line it's there it's
0: like porn you know it when you see it porn yeah like it's like that's the old line right if like you know like what is pornography it's like i don't know but i i know it when i see it kind of thing yeah um right am, am i wrong on that i feel like that's a phrase like you know like people are, all nodding. The people are nodding white dudes are like oh I <laughs> care but um we don't know anything about that um uh, no, I mean, the innovation <laughs> for me is always I I, I I when I'm talking to brewers and they are finding cool things to do with established ingredients. Uh, I was talking to Chris Cates. Uh, from uh, Little Animals uh, mm-hmm. earlier. And um, uh, he's doing some cool things with malt these days. Yeah. Um, you've done cool things with malt as well. Like you call up Caleb and you're like, hey, how do I get lavender smoked malt?
1: Honestly, he brought that to me. He, okay. was, he was already doing that, cool to stuff. But innovation though, right? Totally. I mean, it's not totally. like,
0: oh, we have Sabro and this tastes like coconut, but it actually just tastes like spoiled sweet cream or like whatever. Diacetyl you know, like a Diacetyl it is. Yeah. Um, so I think innovation comes from thinking about things that are already established and then looking at them through the prism of... Totally. And your beers do that.
1: Yeah. Um, there's like a, a, a website, blog kind of thing that I've read over the years that I really love. It's called Brain Pickings. Grain Pickings? Brain. Brain, Brain Pickings. Sorry, sorry um, I hear
0: grain and yeah, I'm just... No, like, I mean, that's yeah,
1: it's, topical. It's where we are, um, yeah. But one of the things that it, this woman says on her podcast or on this blog is like, everything is a remix. So it's not necessarily we can't come up with something new out of thin air for the most part, right? That's definitely not gonna happen all the time, but we can take things that have already been done and blend those things with other experiences that we have to create something novel. Um, So I do think that there is some, I agree with you completely, like thinking about old ingredients or old processes through a new lens and trying to create something new from those things, I think very much qualifies as innovation. Um, So where are you
0: putting your brain towards that these days?
1: It's a good question. Um, Honestly, like going from Texas to Chicago and seeing some of the interesting ingredients available to me there that I didn't have in Texas, like rhubarb. Rhubarb does not grow in Texas, but it very much is a thing in the Midwest in colder climates. Um, So I was really excited about like using ingredients like that. Um, Like strawberry rhubarb (laughs) is very much a classic classic combo just
0: got jason from Morpheus all upset but yeah that's fine i'm sorry so, yeah
1: jason you don't jason, like Jason, why don't you like rhubarb you don't like rhubarb <laughs> <laughs> i like it the too the wheels have come off yeah. yeah um you know so like weird ingredient i didn't have access to in texas i was excited about that so moving to new mexico there's all kinds of crazy stuff um different ingredients to work with so i'm excited about that so i've been learning about like botanical p- ingredients and like bitter roots and stuff like that, like desert microflora, uh, and macroflora, I guess. Yeah. All kinds of like cool stuff that grows out there. So that's definitely like piquing my, my interest and my curiosity and my kind of creative, uh, muscle for that. Like I am very much a write down, of uh, flavor combo kind of, pr- so I've got like a notebook of all kinds of weird stuff that I'd like to do in the future. But, um, so I don't know. Having new ingredients and kind of a new landscape to explore yeah. has been has been really cool and fodder for creative output, I guess.
0: I'm excited for you and 2025 and yeah. the the brewery. <laughs> I hope it's before then. I do but too. I'm trying to be. I yeah. do too,
1: but it'll definitely be 2024, like at the earliest.
0: <laughs> um, is this going to be a proper place that we can come and visit? Absolutely. Cool.
1: Yeah, I uh, that has very much been one element of what I've been doing with Keeping Together that I have very much missed. Uh, like at, at Jester King, I did have, I had, I painted the tap room there, you know, like I painted the bathroom there yeah. as, a, as a young apprentice, free labor. I, I am very excited to be able to create a holistic experience for people and like design a space uh, for people to experience and not just the beers. So I'm very much excited about uh, being able to create a taproom experience for people to come and hang out and tell me what they taste in the beer. So
0: I'm excited to come visit. Yeah. Um, thanks for doing this. Thanks yeah, for, thanks, thanks for, for having me. Out. This was awesome. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, y'all. Go enjoy your last hour of the festival, and uh, thank you.
1: Yeah, thanks, John. Yeah. My
0: thanks again to Linus and Brandon questions, comments, concerns, you can email me. It's John Hall. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at allaboutbeer.com, or you can tell me about it on Twitter at John underscore Hall. A reminder, go visit allaboutbeer.com. There you can check out the podcast page, the merch page, and can read great new content as well as the archives going back to 1979. You can follow All About Beer on social media at all about beer. And if you're interested in supporting journalism in the beer space, and really, I hope you are, email us at info at allaboutbeer.com or go to patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. Don't forget, All About Beer has a podcast channel now. Search and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Steal This Beer has new episodes every Monday and the BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. For you smoked beer fans out there, check out This Week in Rauk Beer. The Facebook group is easy to search and on Twitter and Instagram, we are at tw Beer. As for this show, Nate Weber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again. To drink beer and to think beer.